I joined an energetic group of Dan's many supporters to plan a massive three-day celebration to coincide with his going underground, a Woodstock-inspired love-in with music and speeches and theater. We secured the use of Barton Hall, the cavernous arena at the north end of campus used for basketball games, phys ed classes, and convocations. The event itself was called America is Hard to Find, after a poem Dan had written and which had been turned into a song by John Hostetter. It had begun on Friday, April 17, and would include a Freedom Seder, a theatrical representation of the traditional Jewish religious observance performed by New York's Bread and Puppet Theater. Other performers who signed on for the weekend included Phil Oakes, Judy Collins, Country Joe and the Fish, Jerry Jeff Walker, and a lot of local bands, writers, and poets. On the day of the event, I went to a farm outside Ithaca where Dan had been hiding since his disappearance. In spite of my earlier failing, I'd been asked to bring my makeup kit again, and once more I applied such masking to Dan's face as I dared. At the appointed hour, a motorcycle drove up, and a cyclist entered, carrying an extra helmet and leather jacket for Dan. Fully outfitted, Dan was unrecognizable, due entirely to the helmet and not at all to the makeup. I went ahead to Barton Hall to help prepare the way. Not an inch of floor space was available, and hardly an atom of oxygen. The Cornell Daily Sun reported that more than 15,000 people attended. The party had started, and the echoes of voices, drums, guitars, and cymbals ricocheted and pulsed through the giant hall. At each entrance, and several points near the stage, Another presence was visible, unsmiling men in somber suits, obviously on the lookout for Daniel Berrigan. Behind the stage was a stage door leading to the service alley where the bread and puppet theater truck was parked and where the actors were climbing into their ten- and fifteen-foot-tall puppets. A motorcycle pulled into the alley with a passenger on the back. Dan Berrigan dismounted, removed his leather jacket and helmet, and climbed into a puppet, just in time for the actors to enter Barton Hall in a slow and dramatic procession accompanied by the banging of drums. Now disguised in one of the puppets, Dan ascended the stage. He removed his costume, and the crowd went wild. Some hundred or so supporters who were previously recruited circled the stage and locked arms, to protect Dan from the overwhelmed feds. Ever the poet, he shared a verse he had written for the occasion. Then, profoundly at ease, he sat down on the stage and enjoyed the performances. He remained there for two hours in full view. Then, as suddenly as he had arrived, he was gone, his departure shielded from view by giant puppets and a mob of jubilant friends. Back at the farm, I climbed into the driver's seat of the borrowed getaway car, and I drove Dan to Long Island. I dropped him at Coney Island, passing him into the hands of other friends there, people I did not know and whose names I didn't ask. The drive to Coney Island was the longest time I'd ever spent alone with Dan. We talked about the trivial and the personal, food and family and spring. We talked about the war. We talked about resistance. He told me about a friend of his, John Grady, and he invited me to John's home, 
a retreat at some place they called Iron Mountain in the Bronx. There I could meet with others who wanted to stop the war and the draft. I stopped in Manhattan on my way back, too tired to attempt the drive back to Ithaca that night. By the time I arrived at the Catholic Worker, where I hoped to crash with Dale, everything was locked up and all the lights were out. I stopped for a beer at Julius, a village bar on West 10th, and went home with a young composer named Richard. The next morning, I drove home.